Hello, welcome to this edition of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. So we are back today with part three of the crossover with Scott and Laura. We're basically breaking it all down in this episode and having a prediction at the end. So here it is, our final installment of the big crossover preview between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Montreal Canadiens. All right, so now that we've talked about all the storylines. I guess it is finally time to let's just break down this series, do a head-to-head breakdown, and then at the end we'll just give our predictions as to who's to think we're going to win. So, um, Scott, I'm going to give this to you. Just b- break it all down for the Canadians, and then I'll, of course, I'm sure you'll give it to Laura. Just break it down the lines. You know what the Penguins will expect um, going into this series. I'm going to break down the rosters as such. The Penguins have one Sidney Crosby. The Canadians do not have a single Sidney Crosby, therefore advantage Penguins so far. But <laughs> looking at the lineups going into this, everyone knows the Canadians live and die by the strength of their top line of Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, and Brendan Gallagher, who are one of the best offensively generating lines in the offensive zone and an incredible defensive unit as well, which is kind of amazing because... Thomas Tatar, for whatever reason, could never get the trust of Gerard Gallant in Vegas, and now he's part of a trio that is one of the best lines in the NHL. And then after there, like we kind of discussed in our previous episode, is it's very muddled about who is the 2C, who's the 3C, who's the 4C behind that. And right now, I'm slotting Nick Suzuki into the second center spot, and then what they're doing for wingers is anybody's guess. He could have Duane and Armia. He could have Lekkinen and Byron. He could have Domi and Kotkaniemi. It's, there's so many potential combinations. And then even sliding down to the third line is, you know, is it Jesperi Kotkaniemi as your third line center? Is it Max Domi as your third line center? Is it something else that we don't know yet? There's so many options that... It gives Claude Julien kind of the advantage to play around, depending on what he wants in a given night. And then the fourth line, it looks like, is going to be some combination of Dale Weiss, Jordan Wheel, and Jake Evans. And I'm shocked that Dale Weiss is going to be an NHL playoff starter in the year of our Lord, 2020. But here we are, because my theory is Claude Julien only saw Dale Weiss when Dale Weiss was at his best playing against the Bruins. Therefore, he has a much higher opinion of what Dale Weiss is to the Canadians these days. And from there, Laura, you talked about it last episode. The defense kind of lives or dies by Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie, right? Absolutely. And honestly, like there's a lot of conversation about whether Shea Weber is the top defenseman or uh, Jeff Petrie is. The way that they set up the lines, it's like Shea Weber is the first pairing, but in terms of responsibility, I feel like it's quietly given to Jeff Petrie and it, it's sort of to the to the Habs detriment, to be honest, because, for example, on the first power play unit on the Habs, like it's Shea Weber playing the point, always Shea Weber playing the point, whereas Jeff Petrie is able to drive play and quarterback and he's always on the second power play unit. And while the Canadians kind of have, um, I'm going to say like they've, they've got like a good dynamic uh, set of forwards. They always end up going out from Shea Weber and all the other teams for the last, I don't know how long Shea Weber has been in the NHL, they know what to expect. So I think that it it really depends on whether Claude Julien makes a decision to sort of, 
I don't know if you could do it, like you could call it a fake out or whatever, is to set it up so that the Penguins expect uh, Shea Weber to be playing those those minutes and to be playing the point on the power play and all of that, to have that responsibility. And then, you know, him kind of sliding in Jeff Petrie, but Mike Sullivan's not stupid. So I think the biggest thing that that we've talked about all year is the Canadians kind of they've got they've got two um, on the right. Right. And then they like we don't know who play who, who can play with them. And the big expectation was Alexander Romanov was going to come in and play with them next year. Wouldn't it be nice for him to be able to play in this series? And then the NHL said, nah, we don't, we hate fun. So deal with it and et cetera, et cetera. As good as the Canadians are on the right side, the left side is a constant hodgepodge of Ben Chirot, Victor Mete, and Brett Kulak. But now there's also players like Gustav Olofsson. Xavier Ouellette can play on the left side. They've had some of the younger guys who play on the right on the left-hand side. It's going to be a hodgepodge. And I wouldn't shock to be seeing if it... I wouldn't be shocked to see a different third pairing from the Canadians every single kind of game going forward. It's just, it's such a crapshoot that they're hoping Romanov can be that guy that steps in or they hoped he would be the one that would step in in this playoff and get that experience. But obviously that's on hold now till next year. And I just actually wrote about this is that my theory, and it's not even a theory it's backed up by stats is that is when Jeff Petrie and Brett Kulak screw up something on the ice, it it's never something small and it always gets blown up in their face, but they're an incredibly good defensive pairing that I think should be given more of a run out against Pittsburgh's offensive firepower and kind of ease the order, the load on Shea Weber's back. And maybe you may get him into the offensive zone a little bit more, give him some of those chances to use his still very potent shot and everything else. It, it all depends on how Claude Julian wants to match up against the Pittsburgh offense and how deep it is. Yeah, uh, that uh, getting in front of a Shea Weber, Shea Weber slap shot is not going to be fun for any of the Penguin players, but um, I'm sure a couple are going to do it, and um, hopefully they won't pay the price with any broken bones or anything because that shot is just potent. Like you said, it's potent, it's fast, and it just I, I I've seen it at the skills competition. It's just ridiculous. But um, for the Penguins lines, they're pretty. I know you guys, your defensive pairings are kind of a little bit up in the air, kind of like what Cole Julian's going to do, especially on the left side. But the Penguins, they're pretty dead set on what they're going to do for their lines coming out of training camp. The top six is just, we all know what, it's just very filthy. Jake Gensel is back 100%. He, at times he was like, yeah, I'm not really sure if I'm going to play. Jake Gensel's back. Uh, Sidney Crosby with Connor Sherry. Um, they will put that line out. Very much. I'm not, I'm not going to try to count how many shifts they'll be out there, but they will be out there a lot. Jason Zucker of Getty Malkin, Brian Russ. Again, the Malkin and Russ duo was just, just been ridiculous this season. Of Getty Malkin was on another planet. Brian Russ was going to be a 30 goal scorer if this season had not been paused. And then it gets interesting. The, the, the third line, well, if you want to call it the third line, they kind of call the Aston Reese Bluger Tanev line their third line because they can just put it out there in any situation, they can get the job done just because Mike Sullivan trusts them so much. But the, the biggest X factor line, if you want to say that is the McCann line. And I have him as my biggest X factor outside of the goaltenders and the core players, because whenever the Penguins have won a Stanley cup in the Sidney Crosby era, the one of the biggest reasons is their third line center has just gone off. 
Jordan Stahl did it in 2009 when he really came into his own against a very good Detroit Red Wings team. I think that's probably one of the best salary cap teams of this era. And then Nick Benino in 2016, we all know what he did with uh, the Magic. 2017, he did it again. And now Jared McCann has a chance to replicate that. Had a very strong start to the season and then had a stretch towards the late stages where he had a one goal in 25 game stretch, one goal, 20 games. Just very, very bad. Oh, yeah. Patrick Marlowe is also a penguin in case people forgot. They're trying to get him his first Stanley Cup. Um, and he would probably honestly walk off in the sunset. And then Patrick Hornquist, who had a very rejuvenated season. So that line is going to be very interesting. We talked about it on the last episode. If the Canadians are going to potentially find a mismatch of a forward line, I think that one would be it because they really have not spent a lot of time playing together. We all know what the Aston Reese Blue Retainer line can do defensively. Um, their underlying numbers just speak for themselves. They, When Mike Sullivan puts them on the ice, they do one job. They get the puck out of the zone and they just harass you until they get off the ice. And then defensively, um, Dumoulin with Chris Letang, they, we all know that's the top pairing. They, they play very, very well together. And then the young rookie, John Marino, is going to be getting his playoff debut. I'm going to be curious to see what happens with him. Is there any nerves that come into his game? He was just so flawless this whole season. Marcus Pedersen. And then we all know the third pairing, guys. Uh, Jack Johnson, Justin Schultz. Um, if the Canadians want to target that pairing all they want, um, I'm sure no one will blame them because they are just two very, very bad defensemen and have been all season. And I really don't want to talk about Jack Johnson anymore, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's too bad because I'm going to make you talk about Jack Johnson and just how bad was Jack Johnson like this year? Because originally before he signed with Pittsburgh, the Canadians were allegedly interested in him. And I wrote an article saying, for the love of God, don't sign Jack Johnson to especially to the money he was looking for. As bad as low as expectations were coming into Pittsburgh, has he fallen short of even those expectations already? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's just, he's a tire fire. That's really just <laughs> what he is. He just, he, he makes the dumbest errors on the ice that I just, I scratch my head at. He can't keep the puck in at the blue line, makes bad pinching decisions. There was a time during this season where honestly his underlying numbers were above 50% for this was a short little sample size with Justin Schultz because wow, they were getting sheltered minutes and going up against the third and fourth lines of teams, which Mike Sullivan was able to control because they were um, on home ice and they have last change. But He's just not good, and they have three more years left of this albatross of a contract for reasons why. I don't know why Jim Rutherford decided to do it. Seattle, uh, Ron Francis, if you're listening to this podcast, um, we can offer you Jack Johnson with a sweetener involved too if you would like. But um, he was just 47% Corsi fan percentage this season. Last year he was 45.8. He's been that way for a long time. They knew what they were getting in him. It's nothing but bad, bad, bad. And it didn't help the matters when Justin Schultz was just as bad. So, like, I, I'll say it again. The Canadians want to create a mismatch or create one big one. You go after that pairing. Jack Johnson will make a mistake that will probably end up in, back in, the, in the back of the Penguins' net. Justin Schultz was part of that. He had a resurgence in Pittsburgh after kind of unceremoniously being dumped by the Oilers, who shockingly misused his talents. Did his injuries you know, that he suffered in Pittsburgh and just time away from the ice kind of set him back a little bit? Or was he 
never as good as his resurgence made it seem. Yeah, you know, he was really good in 2015-16. That's when he was – they started him off giving him sheltered pairing minutes. And it actually worked because he was playing with Ian Cole, who I felt was pretty underrated at the time. A lot of the Penguins fan base kind of overrated him, but that's a discussion for another day. Then 2016-17 comes. Chris Letang is basically done for a lot of that season. That was his best season of his NHL career. He had like a 50-point season, got paid right after that season, played like a top – pairing top four defenseman, and then – had a good start to the next season. Then the injury starts. He breaks his ankle, comes back, just is not the same. Then the next season gets hurt again, comes back, not the same, looks a step slow. Then this season, I think he got hurt again for a while, just not the same. He just hasn't been the same for a couple of years now. And it's a clean slate now. I'm going to hope that he plays maybe even half of what he did in 2016-17, but I'm not really going to get my hopes up for it. But it's just been... It's been hard for him. I, I kind of feel bad. This is a contract year for him. He was probably hoping he could get a raise from his $5.5 million per. I'm not really going to um, think – I don't really think he's going to. But I did want to ask both of you. So there's been this discussion, of course, about Carey Price. You know, oh, yeah, you know, teams are still afraid of him and his numbers the last couple of years have gone, gone down a bit. Was his how was his I didn't get to watch as many Montreal games as I could this season. How was his game this season for the most part? Is it the numbers deceive it a little bit, or is he still one of the elite, elite, elite goaltenders in this league, or has he like truly fallen off a bit these last couple of seasons? Well, he has a nightmare November now, every every season. That's kind of his thing now. Um, is that at the beginning of the year, all the hopes kind of rest on Carey Price. And then it's, it's, it's really like, he has like an awful November, like, like abysmal, like I don't even, it's soul crushing. That's how bad it is. But then if you, if you were paying attention and the problem is the Canadians weren't putting up the results to back this up. But after that, like in December and January, he was playing phenomenally. Like, you look at him and or you would look at him. I don't know what he's like right now, but you would look at him and you would be like, I'm seeing the old Carey Price like night in and night out. He would keep the Canadians in. And and so the problem kind of like it, it, it was goaltending in November, like early on when they struggled, it was because they weren't getting the goaltending. So any mistake they made was ending up in their net. But then when he was playing better, it's that the Canadians started making like it was a like a larger volume of mistakes if you want and so you know at some point like a lot of the times the goals he was letting in like any goaltender would like they they were mostly not his fault and unfortunately how well he played in December and January were kind of overshadowed by the fact that the Canadians weren't able to score there was no defensive coverage and so they were still losing games yeah games were you know 3-1 2-1 or 2-0 like Carey Price makes 35 saves, but lets in one goal because the penalty kill sucks. And everyone goes, well, what the hell, Carey? And it's like, can he score goals too? I'm one, I'm sure that he can. He's talented enough. It's, we talked about it in the previous episodes or whether or not the special teams can work for the Canadians. If they can get the penalty kill to be even remotely passable, they're going to be fine because Price usually stops like 98% of what he sees, give or take a few ridiculous things against. And he's not 
the guy who won every award in the NHL anymore. Like he's still very good though. In that, like Laura said, his December was, you want to try and score on Carey Price, you better do something really damn amazing to get a puck by him because he was just in that mode where he made everything look easy. You know, coming across, glove, easy. You know, cross-siding across, get it with the toe, easy. Everything looks simple to him. But when he's struggling and second-guessing his defenders, you can tell because he'll be cheating and he'll be out of position or his defenders will be falling on him. If he trusts his defense in front of him and just kind of gets into that mode, it takes a lot to beat Carey Price. And it's a matter of he's been away from the ice for, what, four and a half months coming into this? Can he get into that mode enough to win three out of five games against a very good Penguins team now? Now that we have a little bit of a break, it is time to talk about rockauto.com. It's a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, the prices are always reliably low and the same professionals and do it yourselves. Why should you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That is rockauto.com. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna hope that this December carry price does not turn into more God mode um, for during this three out of five series because I've seen firsthand what a God mode goalie will look can look like. It's not very fun when a guy, goaltender is just stopping every single thing that comes at him, 970, 980, 80 percentage. But um, us Penguins fans do um, also relate to a struggling goaltending as well. as a, time, a lot of this season, Matt Murray was struggling and then Tristan Jari was struggling a little bit um, towards the pause. I think in the last month of the season, his numbers started to deteriorate back to normal. And, you know, there's always been this double standard with Tristan Jari and Matt Murray this season, which... Um, I've never honestly really understood. <laughs> so now let me ask, obviously like the goalies have struggled and we talked about that in one of our previous episodes. How good are the Penguin special teams? And is this the kind of series where if Montreal takes a penalty, they should just go ahead and put the goal up on the board? Or is uh, Pittsburgh one of those teams that randomly is off on the power play or the penalty kill for whatever reason, despite the talent at the disposal. We've seen it in Toronto before when they were under Mike Babcock is they have all these talented players and their power play just can't score a goal. Is Pittsburgh similar or are they as lethal as they're expected to be? They're not nearly as lethal as they have been in years past. Um, Mark Recchi coaches the power play. I really think he should have his duty stripped of, of it because the power play went a lot of stretches this season where they would just not score. I think there was a, a stretch during the beginning of the season, the first couple of months, where they were going, I think it was like 0 for 25, 0 for, almost like 0 for 30, and then they finally got one, and it was like the seal broke because they started scoring some power play goals after that. But it's just that's just not acceptable with the talent that the Penguins can have on the top power play with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Jake Gensel, whoever you want to put on that fifth person, Patrick Hornquist, who's a menace in front of the net. The penalty kill was just much better for the Penguins this season, and that, I'm sorry, that's just crazy to say. That, that, that Jacques Martin, who I know you guys know very well because he coached <laughs> the last time the Penguins lost um, to them in the playoffs, he coaches the penalty kill, and he just he does a magnificent job. I think a lot of people don't really 
realize just how good of a defensive coach Jacques Martin is. He's been here for the last, um, I think he, I think he was here in 2014-15 when Mike Johnston was here, but he stayed on the staff when Mike Sullivan came in. But he like he just coaches that unit so well. They can put Tanev out there. They put Aston Reese out there. They can put Dumoulin out there. Hell, they were honestly putting Sidney Crosby out there a lot to kill penalties this season. And, you know, he was doing a pretty good job of it. The Penguins' penalty kill is just – it was better than their power play at, during this season. I guess I'll just end with that. And that's just not something, like I said, I thought I would ever admit. <laughs> I feel very jealous of teams who have functioning special teams at one point or another because the Canadians whole thing was weird as there was a time when their power play was very good and then they just defaulted to what if we just give the puck to Shea Weber every time and then the penalty kill just never got better at all and Montreal plays that style that they want to hold you know they want to slow the game down a little bit Claude Julien's thing is to kind of clog the game up a little bit and they can do that with some of their players but I would do you think if they opened up with players like Nick Suzuki and Jonathan Duane and Max Domi, who are very talented and high skill players, are they if they open up with those players against Pittsburgh, are they going to have more success, or should they be trying to use some of their their Yol Armias and their Arturi Lekins to kind of grind the play down and slow down a little bit to you know? slow the play down and try and, you know, mitigate Crosby and Malkin as much as they can. I think, honestly, you know, your first option, because, you know, th- those are the players that could give the Penguins fits, you know, especially on, you know, their special teams and on the power play. The Penguins have been, they give up shorthanded goals because of stupidity with plays at the point, they're forcing passes. The, the, those players that you said in your, fir- in your first, that were, you know, with, like, you know, with Gallagher and, and all those players, you know, it's just, those are the kind of players that you can just put out there and they'll be even more dangerous because the Penguins will they, – they try this thing. They always just try to force passes on the power play and it's just very, very annoying. And and when they do that, they shorthand breakaways or two-on-ones and it's just – I don't I don't get why they, they've done it so many times, but I, I've tried to figure it out. I try to watch – go back and watch the tape on it, it, it but – you know, Mark Recchi coaches the power play, and hopefully he'll take that into consideration when he sees what players the Montreal can put out there who are very, very quick. It'll be truly interesting to see whether or not Montreal can get some of their skill players free in this, because obviously they have the talented players. It's just a matter of can Drouin be up to the level that we know he can be at? Where is the next level for Nick Suzuki? He's been very good in his rookie season. What's next for Yasperi Kotkaniemi? It's there's so many questions that it's like as much as I'm rooting for Montreal to lose and get the lottery pick, I want to have that. I want to see them do something interesting, do something different, give the kids a chance to go and show what their skill is because they're the future of this team. And as much as I love Philip Deno and Thomas Tatar. Eventually, those are going to be guys who are replaced by Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi and then Cole Caulfield after that, whenever that day comes. See what the kids have in this series, too. Like, obviously, you know how good the top line is going to be. We we both know. We've agreed on that. Now see what your skill players can do. Even if you get if you got to try and line match to get them away from those top lines, make something happen and make it to get them out there. Let them showcase their skills, especially – Drew Wayne, who was very good at the start of the year and then got injured, 
he's had all that time to recover. If he comes back with that ability that he had at the start of the year, I think he could shock a lot of people in this. Yeah, I was going to ask about Duran because when you acquired him for Sergachev, you know, some people were like, oh, yeah, this was just the winger the, the Canadians needed. And then, you know, he had some injury problems and he would still produce. But, you know, he got to that level in 2016 against the Penguins. I think some I think some people have forgotten over the years. He was, I think, Tampa Bay's best player that series. And I know this is four years ago, but still, he was just a lightning rod, just everywhere, just beating the Penguins everywhere he went, just scoring it well. And like you said, if he can get to that level, back to that 2016 level, um, that's going to be a big problem, I think, for the Penguins that they maybe do not expect to happen. Yeah. And now I kind of have to ask, obviously we know how good Crosby and Malkin and all these players are. Who is your kind of unsung hero who has the potential to kind of surprise in this playoff, I think, because everyone knows that everyone knows Crosby's going to be good. Everyone knows Malkin's going to be good. Everyone knows Chris Letang is capable of being great as well. Who is the under, you know, the unsung hero, the underlying player waiting to break out in this series? You know, it's, it's between two players, you know, Jared McCann, he's been dying to break out of this slump that he was in. I know it's clean slate now, so you know, we don't have to say he's breaking out, but still one goal in his, like his last 20, 25 games before the pause, he is, he this he's such a key for the Penguins because he, he's the third line center. He's going to be the third line center of the future. He's centering two players that have really not played with him a lot. Like I I've said, the, the, when the Penguins win the Stanley Cups, the third line center goes off. Nick Benino, Jordan Stahl, Jared McCann needs to go off. He needs to be like the sleeping giant for them, uh, for them to just go far in this. And then the other player, if you want to have like a one B, is John Marino. He had a fantastic rookie season next to Marcus Pedersen, his underlying numbers, the most, a lot of his defensive numbers are through the roof, and there was just never a situation that was just too big for him. He was just absolutely outstanding, night in and night out, did not look like an NHL rookie at all. He looked like a player that had been in the league for three to four seasons already, and this could be the start of his, even more, I think, of his big breakout party, and I'm not there yet, and I think not a lot of people are there yet either, but if he has a very, very good playoff against Montreal, and then if they win the series going even further into the playoffs, I think people could start to realize that he is the next Penguins' number one defenseman when Chris Letang calls it quits. So, like Hunter was just saying, the the Penguins' unsung players, we know, like I said, how good all their stars are going to be. Laura, I mean, I've had my opinions on this. Who do you think the Habs' kind of unsung player for this series is going to be? I guess it depends if, if you're talking relative to the regular season that they had because Kotkaniemi and Max Domi both underperformed this season. I'm expecting Tatar to be good, Dano to be good, Byron to be good. So, you know, I guess relative to, to, to the Penguins, it's not it's not elite or superstar level. But um, so those are like, I think that either Jesperi Kotkaniemi or Max Domi is going to come out. But if we're talking like not relative to expectation and context of the season, I think Arturi Lekanen, maybe, or Yol Armia. I'm not stealing your answer, Scott. I promise. I'm just saying like, these are, <laughs> these are truly unsung, unsung people on the team. So if it, like, I guess it depends. So if like, if it's truly like a player who nobody expects anything out of, 
that could really turn it on and become one of those guys that, you know, like the GMs are always saying you have to, you win a playoff series with those guys, you win in the playoffs with these guys. Like then you're talking, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick Arturi Lekkanen. Um, and, and yeah, so like, I guess those are my two answers depending on context. I'm right there with Laura in that Arturi Lekkanen proved in Sweden. He was a playoff performer when he broke Daniel Alfredson's playoff scoring record he played really well the last time he was in the playoffs in Montreal, and I think this is a really good chance for him to show that he's got the type of play that is very much perfect for, you know, nitty-gritty playoff hockey. It's not always pretty, but it gets the job done. Lekkanen does not score many pretty goals, but he just gets the puck to the net when he needs to, and that's, I guess, what's the most important right now anyways. So... Hunter, I got to ask you, what, in your unbiased opinion, is going to be the series result here? Okay, so I've been kind of going back and forth on this one. I will tell you it's not going to be a sweep. The Penguins are not going to sweep Montreal. They hardly ever sweep a team in the playoffs anyway when they win a series. But I am going to say the Penguins will win this series in four games. Uh, Montreal is going to win game two and then... The Penguins will go on to win game three. And then on Sidney Crosby's birthday, Sidney Crosby will score. And the Penguins will win that game because he is the part of the most super, one of the most superstitious hockey players out there. And Sidney Crosby will get a birthday present. So um, I'm going to go Penguins in four. But I think they're just deeper. I think they're a better team. Um, I just I think the Penguins will do what needs to be done. They'll take care of business. And whoever they go up against in the next round, Boston, Tampa, what whoever um that's who the penguins i guess yeah i don't think it's going to be a sweep either i'm going to think montreal steals one game somewhere but i just don't think they can compete with pittsburgh's firepower right now i think it'll be a 3-1 series montreal might win game one or game two but I think Pittsburgh is going to absolutely just take over the Crosby is going to be in that mindset where he just takes over the series at one point and just refuses to give it back. I I'm cheering for the Canadians to get a draft lottery pick out of this anyway. So like I, I I'm not trying to be mean to my team, but I don't think that they have the firepower right now to pull off the upset barring Carey price turning in a ridiculous performance. My prediction is five games. I think the Canadians are going to win two. Uh, I would say that they'll probably win like games three and four. Uh, that's kind of my feeling. And then the Penguins kind of, you know, in game five are like, all right, let 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 let's like, you know, right the ship or let's 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 um, what do you call it? Not um, let's stop messing around. I guess I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's gonna be that's that's my prediction. Uh, it's going to be five games. It's not going to be fun for either fan base. Um, it's going to be, I don't think it's ever going to rival like a Montreal Boston ridiculousness kind of series, but there's definitely going to be shenanigans on both sides. And then like things will go that the way they, they were always meant to. And the Penguins are going to at least make noise. I don't know if they'll win the cup, but they'll probably, they'll probably make some noise and the Canadians will either get, you know, the ninth overall or the first overall. And like, that's kind of like how it's supposed to shake out anyway. So that will basically do it for our three part crossover 
series preview with Scott and Laura. Um, I very much appreciate you guys listening to this. We will be back with regular episodes tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday to basically just preview it even more, maybe have a couple guests on before the real fun starts on Saturday at 8 p.m. on NBC Sports Network. And then after that, we'll be breaking it all down for you guys next week. So keep it right here on Locked On Penguins. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to this three-part crossover preview, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.